thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, gorgeous listeners. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we are sitting here with the absolutely delightful Lissy Abrahams, um, who's joining us from Sydney at the moment. And we've been chatting here just for a few minutes. And Lissy, you were just so lovely and warm. Um, I can absolutely see why you would be such an incredible, you know, couples therapist just by the few minutes of brief interaction we've had with you already. Like, I feel like we're already old friends. Thank you so much. Yes, we did click into that register very quickly, didn't we? Um, Yeah, which is so nice. Um, So Lucy Abrahams is a couples therapist. She's a published academic. She's the author of The Relationship Reset and the creator of the online course Fight Less, Love More. Um, But Lucy is just passionate about relationships and is an expert in facilitating the conversations many couples are afraid to have um, about their relationship and finances and everything else. Um, So Lucy, welcome to Wellness Women Radio. Thanks for joining us. It is the best, uh, biggest pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. And this is sort of an area that we haven't really touched on very much, is it, Ash? And this is, um, you know, the role of women in relationships and how relationship stresses can impact our own physical well-being and our own health so significantly. Um, So that's why when um, we came across Lissy, we just thought we have to have her on because it's so relevant to such a big pillar of health for us as well. 
Absolutely. And I think we, we talk a lot about our own vulnerabilities and, you know, our connections, our relationships, the way we do things, but we're not experts in this area. So, you know, that's why this podcast is always focused on bringing in expert uh, guidance for you guys listening. So, I yeah, I'm really excited to just unpack this and start to get into um, the, yeah, the information that we're going to hear. And I think everyone can grow in this space. I don't think you can ever just get there, can you, Lissy? Like whether you're 15 or, or 85, there's still an evolution in understanding of how relationship dynamics work. Absolutely. And I think there are people who need to tap into it more than others. And when we when we have strife, difficulties, and that's when we really get in and do the work. I think there are some people who float along and they don't need to get into it so much. They're just in their happy worlds and they relate comfortably and they, they don't always need to dig a little deeper to understand something, but many of us actually do. And it's a great journey. I mean, I, I'm so grateful that I get to delve into this on a daily basis. And what got you interested in this in the first place, Lucy? You were just mentioning off air that so you originally studied at the University of New South Wales, which is also my alma mater, and then you moved to London and you delved into attachment theory and other um, sort of couples therapy. What what was the inspiration for that for you? Well, I think when I really dig into what what got me there onto this journey is. I grew up in a household that was a really loving household, but there was also a lot of conflict. And I got, I really saw my parents, what happened when they'd have, um, they'd fight about money or they'd fight about working. And it didn't really matter what they were actually fighting about the topic. It just sort of played itself out in ways that as a child, I felt quite insecure about were they going to stay together? Were they not? Mm-hmm. And when I was 15, my mum became a family lawyer. She's graduated, she studied psychology and then became a family lawyer. And that world was fascinating to me because then I, I was able to hear in, about experiences of people who actually their families did separate. And I, I got to sort of see the whole human drama playing itself out from people who could do it really well, even though it was a difficult process, the separation, to absolutely annihilating each other. And I couldn't understand, how did they get to that? How did they get from being the couple who looked into each other's eyes and looked all beautiful on the day with everyone around them, making these beautiful promises to shredding each other and dragging their children through terrible court cases? So I wanted to understand it all. And uh, Lucy, in your opinion, like what qualities would um, a healthy, I don't want to use the word successful, but a healthy relationship have? At at its core, it's such a great question because at its core, it's about psychological safety. And Mm -hmm. so for it's what what do each partner bring to the relationship that allows everybody sufficient psychological safety? But it's also to do with what's inside of ourselves. So some of the things are things like, can the couple balance the needs of the relationship, which might be things like, you know, um, shared goals, sex sex and intimacy, um, having enough time together, versus the individual needs, like, um, am I exercising enough? How's my career path going? You know, think, and um, do I get enough downtime? You know, that there's mm-hmm. that conflict that's always there in relationships because we're individuals in a relationship. So that would be one of them. Another one is a really, really main one, which is um, communication. If we can't communicate respectfully, we are going to be all over the place and we're going to be 
fighting because we're not listened to or we weren't spoken to properly or um, we don't feel our partner cares about us. So all of these are going to be, you know, if we can do that, then yay, that's a huge thing that helps couple have that psychological safety. Um, another area is uh, it's whether couples say yes to each other more than no. You know, I often think of Jim Carrey's film, Yes Man. I actually send some of my couples to go watch it because if they're constantly saying no and putting barriers up, which is a very defensive thing to say, I'll keep myself safe and barricaded here, yeah. um, then they're not allowing the gifts to come into the relationship. So do you want to come for a walk or do you want to come for dinner? Do you want to um, come away with me? The no is really powerful and it, and it doesn't promote safety. So those who say yes, that's awesome. And I guess another one I'd talk about really is um, protecting your couple boundary. How do you, how do you uh, not share too much information about your partner, what's personal and what's not? Uh, what about your sexual boundaries? What's the line that you draw and how do you both feel like you're safe within that? And um, I think also around feeling like financially you're on the same page and you're protected. You haven't got someone just ripping through the funds and um, depleting the resources. So I think psychological safety, there's so much in it, but there's just some examples. That's a brilliant overview as well. And I think already, you know, you start to, in your own personal experiences, start to touch on those areas and think, how does that apply to my relationship or my life? You know, I smile when you said the yes factor, because one of the things that came up at our wedding was that one of the older couples there was like, how do you, what's the, the, the secret to a long lasting marriage? You know, this is a couple over 60 years together. And the, the simple thing he just wrote on the note was, yes, dear. <laughs> yeah, just, and it was that idea of like, how do you, how do you survive together? It's, it's that example you just gave, which was, yes, you know, how do we promote each other? How do we support each other? How do we provide the gifts to each other? And, you know, know like you said, provide psychological safety. It's that yes, dear, you know, a, a term of endearment coupled with a, an affirmation. I just thought that kind of sums it up beautifully, doesn't it? Oh, it's really It's lovely. obviously more complex than that, clearly. <laughs> it's lo- it is lovely, though, as long as it's not the yes, dear, in a patronising tone. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just a yes to the recognition that each time we invite our partner to do something with us, it's actually a gift. It is. And mm. we're denying the gift to grow between us and be accepted and received. So I'd say yes. <laughs> and I'd love <laughs> to know, yeah, because, I mean, I mean, obviously in a lot of mum's circles and these are just common themes that come up and um, I think I'm always curious as well how we get to the point of, I'd hate to say the word bitching online about our partners, but um, I'm very cautious of, of that zone because I don't think a lot of good can come from that most of the time. Um, but how do, how do we get to that point where people get into these sort of negative cycles? What What is it that you think kind of leads us down that path? I think it's unhappiness. Okay. Per- personal or as a couple or? Well, I think as probably as a couple but also personal. I mean, it, yeah. it depends on the model that we have of relating. So all of us have absorbed lots of different information when we were young, watching our parents relate. If we were lucky enough to have two parents at home doing it, not always lucky actually, it depends what's going on. Um, but we're absorbing information from a young age. And so if we've got parents who are bitching about each other, then that's going to be encoded in us that that's what is permissible. You can do that. Whereas if you've got that psychological safety where you're not sitting around and just complaining about your partner, you're working through things. A lot of couples who have that safety, they're working through difficult issues together. They don't sweep them under the rug. So the bitching is really a sign. It's it's a gripe. It's a grievance. There's something not, not being held properly at home and there's someone not receiving enough comfort with what they're needing. Now, that's not necessarily their partner's fault. 
it might be what's inside of them that just does that. So it, it's it's a it's big. This this whole area of couples and the way that I think about them is it's my individual journey, how I relate to my partner. Mm. And so that would fall into that. It's not up to them all the time about why I'm bitching. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, an individual's journey into how they relate as well, not just how do I stop him being X, Y, and Z or her being X, Y, and Z. And I know a lot of people default to be to their, I guess, rationalise their experiences by saying things along the lines of, oh, that's just how my mum does it or that's how I was taught. How do we break those cycles? Because I think that's something that a lot of us, you know, possibly can see it or you might get the feedback from your partner, oh, my God, you're just like your mother. And, you know, it may not be in a positive way. Um, yeah. How do we how do we achieve some degree of self-awareness or, or growth? Because it can be a really difficult area to enter. Sometimes it's just easier to leave a box up. Yeah, that's a great question. Essentially, the justifications, external excuses, any of these kinds of things, they're actually um, ego defense mechanisms. That's what they're called. They're ways of avoiding an uncomfortable reality. If we don't want to hear that part that says you're just like your mother and we don't think, oh, how? And we go, no, I'm not. That's denial. We've got all these strategies to avoid what we don't want to hear. Because we've reached our level of um, tolerance. We, we, we can't tolerate something about reality. So it could be that they said you're just like your mother. If, if I'm not curious about that, it's because I can't tolerate the thought and I don't want to know. So justifications, external excuses, rationalizations, these are just defense mechanisms that we use to go, I'm not dealing with that. I'm out. Mm. That's so interesting. <laughs> and no, I don't think anyone wants to be told that they're just like their mother. And um, I'm, I'm trading very carefully here because mum listens to the podcast, um, you know, avidly. So. <laughs> Hi, mum. <laughs> Hi, mum. Just trading very carefully. Um, Lucy, you made reference to um, some of the patterns and uh, I guess habits and things like that that we do learn in childhood um, and probably from the modelling that we have from our parents and everything else Um, but can you expand on that sort of what you see play out in childhood and then the patterns that are then reflected in our relationships later on absolutely so if you can think about um, little kids they're just little sponges and they're absorbing and we see it in their eyes and they're watching and learning and the cogs are turning but they're absorbing all of the information that's about relationships We don't just grow up and then learn that later. It's all happening by a really, really young age. And often, you know, by the ages of 18 to 24 months, we've absorbed most of our relational information that we're going to carry into adulthood, which is pretty scary. Um, Children. (laughs) No pressure, parents. No pressure. And if it's after 24 months, it's, you've still got time. It's not all over. You still it's have not to try. It's you shaped along the way. But a lot of it's they've just been absorbing so much information and they're absorbing all the moments but also micro moments, tiny little things that happen and they become encoded inside of us. And it's like a program that we run our relationships off later. But the problem is that this has all been unconsciously encoded we're not aware when we're a little baby of what we're taking in we're just absorbing it so as adults we don't really have access to everything that's encoded but we can see it in the behavior because what happens is we reach that level of um, intolerance that I was talking about we might not like our partner the way that they um, speak to us they may they they may dismiss us or they may um, 
speak firmly or they may we may feel they're ignoring us so whatever's kind of been absorbed as a child about anything to do with being blamed or yelled at or anything like that it would become a trigger later on and that will then cause us to become self-protective because we don't want to be frightened in our relationship we don't experience our partner as a threat and they we do perceive them as a threat when they do things that trigger our past uh, experiences that are encoded in this program it's called a relational template and it's like all our expectations opinions beliefs reactions it's kind of in there just like a record playing around in the background that we don't even know is there and we can just get you know become a little firecracker or become avoidant at those times because we don't like someone touching things we don't want in our template interesting <laughs> the room is quiet really it's just, it's, just i find all this fascinating yeah it's just and it's fascinating too because you don't appreciate i think as an adult sometimes the triggers or the responses you have are completely in accordance with the things you don't know like it's like oh where did that come from and it, because you can't put a finger on it you can't remember the experience or you don't have that connection um it can be really hard to sort of self-correct or, or adjust your course because it's almost like a default pattern or behavior um so obviously it takes a lot of work and what sort of things do you uh go through with people to help support them do some of that work because you have to start somewhere you know so to people whether it become you know whether it be a goal of getting fitter getting healthier losing weight changing behaviors we always talk about the 100 day pattern you know interrupts you've got to do things for a period of time to make change where do you start that's a fantastic question because what you're absolutely right we don't know what we don't know And what's been encoded, we can't tell ourselves because it's just our normal. Whatever our reactions are, it's just normal. You upset me, it's your fault. We don't see it as as being um, the origins inside of ourselves. So what's really critical is our behaviour tells a story. And that's what I look at. Why did you get upset or why did you go into flight mode or fight mode when he or she said that? So I'm really looking at the interactions they have and often in the room I'm watching their expressions. I'm looking at what is their behaviour telling me about these the fight or flight responses. They're avoiding something or they're fighting about something. Why? What is it? And for each partner it's going to be different. And it's like they're playing out their own individual relational template record on, on together and it's like these don't fit. Of course they're not meant to fit because there's, I mean, some people they do really nicely and good on them, happy, happy. However, for the rest of us, it's difficult and we have to kind of keep working out why did I upset you there? Why did I upset myself there is really the main question as well. What is it? And when they get um, into that mode of those sort of records just not um, playing at the same sort of tune, um, you work with a lot of couples that um, are in this uh, point of crisis and you take them through what you call your relationship reset, which is also the the name of your book as well. Um, So what signs would you look for in a couple that you would know that they were in that that crisis mode and they need that reset? Yeah, there's many signs. Um, there's, it's firstly just the fight and flight responses, what's going on in terms of that. Is there a lot of yelling? Is there um, avoiding? Is there, are, are you ignoring each other? Because some couples have these really sparky wars and others have cold wars. 
and sometimes the cold was even worse. They're just living in separate rooms and ignoring each other. For other couples, it's, it's more subtle and it could be that there's a decrease in intimacy. It could be that some people might be um, living parallel lives, not wanting too much crossover. Uh, so they're getting some, some space that way. It doesn't feel nice though. Um, one could be having an affair, both could be, or and it could be even an emotional one that's happening at work or somewhere else. It, it's not necessarily always sexual. Uh, someone might be avoiding home, like not coming home so much, and that's really hard for the other person and, of course, it's going to make them feel more insecure. You don't want to be here. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people have frequent thoughts of separation mm-hmm. and fantasise about being with their friend over there or their friend's husband. Like they, it doesn't mean they're going to be, but they just, oh, that's a really good person. They're not like my husband who's a big loser in this and this way. Um or they've let themselves go or something. They create stories in that way. And one of the biggest signs really is if your stories and thoughts about yourself, your partner, or your relationship have started to become more negative and it's really affecting you because where our thoughts go, our mind, our body will respond and we're getting upset, we upset ourselves. And then it re- that really is a sign that there's stuff going down that needs to be altered because that becomes entrenched. I don't believe that this stuff gets better without work. It just becomes more and more entrenched. And so for me, I believe everyone's just got to work through these differences so they can clear the home of all of it because it's so unsettling. It's exhausting for a lot of people. It's soul-destroying and, um, you know, it threatens relationships. Mm. Um, I think that those were some great little warning signs there. Um, Lucy, thank you. Uh, Ash, jump in. Oh, I was just thinking how um, when you I, – I see a lot of uh, situations in – obviously I'm in a mum's circle and we see that the first couple of years with children seems to create um, the biggest sort of almost like stress point in or stress test in a relationship. Do you recognise that in your clients? Is that something you observe as well? Because for me I always say, look, the first two years is, can be a really tough road. I see a lot of separations, you know, in some of our clients around this age and stage. A lot of children under, under four have separated parents. And I was just wondering if it's just because of, you know, anything in particular or is it just simply, like I remember looking at my husband thinking, we are so sleep deprived, we can't connect. It was just impossible. You were in this sort of survival state where you're just trying to get through a day and it was impossible to have anything left over to give to someone else other than just, you know, support the needs of your immediate survival needs of your child, feed them, make sure they're going to bed and all that sort of stuff. It was really interesting stage for us. We said we never had conflict in our marriage, you know, to a degree of conflict until our first child. And it didn't, you know, obviously it's, we're 10 years married. It's not uh, the deal breaker, but we had to find new communication tools, methods, strategies, approaches that we'd never had to use before. Um, Had we not had the ability to do that, we could have gone a very different path. Yeah, and it's so it's so important what you're talking about. It's one of my it's a big interest for me because the couple has moved from being two and a very cozy duo often to three. And it's really hard because it shifts all the dynamics in the couple relationship. The focus of who needs the attention has completely moved away from the couple, even though both um, partners suddenly become parents and they're both staring at this little bundle of everything. We won't just call it joy, everything, um, <laughs> pushing all our buttons at once. And the fatigue is so real. I remember reminding myself, never forget. Never become someone who forgets this exhaustion. 
I, I made a deal with myself at the time. My head hurt. It was awful. And it was just day after day. And I'd wake up sometimes thinking, I can't get through another day and one foot in front of the other. It's real. And then what happens is it's real for both parents, different reasons, but it's real. And then it's, it's where, how you navigate that. A friend of mine calls it the valley of death. <laughs> very <Yeah>. severe <laughs> but, but yeah. somewhat it accurate right be. yeah even though he happened to survive in his relationship which is the valley of death it's everything is in there it's it is survival mode where we've got to fight through for what we need and we haven't yet developed those skills it's like you just and you can't have half a baby you can't really prepare for that unless you're actually it's on your agenda so it's really sad to hear about all those couples um who are separating because with some work they could get through it that's mm. the tragedy with some work and understanding what's happening and getting extra help because it, it, it is if it's so powerful to destroy the union, it's showing the power of how awful it is of what's going on at that time. It's that it's that destructive if people can't navigate their way back to each other. So there's so many areas that um, couples could really be helped if they knew prior what was going to happen. And um, I, I think one of the areas is even what we call primary maternal preoccupation. If partners knew that the woman having a baby is going to come out and only be able to focus on her baby properly, that, that's, it, that's her job. Yeah. Then if, if our partner knew that, then there wouldn't be any complaints. There wouldn't be any taps on the shoulder for sex. There would just be, I'll leave you alone to do what you need and how do I help you with this? Now, it yeah. doesn't sound very nice, but that is the job. We're animals. Biological drive. It's the biological drive. Mm. We are wired to only care about this. I remember, I don't know if you did, but my whole world disappeared and there was just a baby in me. Mm, yeah, where well, we've talked about this on our podcast before, you know, just yeah. that sometimes it's almost like a, a lost part of your life. You can't almost remember it because there was just so much um, preoccupation, as you said, that that preoccupation with motherhood. Um, and I think, and you know, it. yeah, and just trying to meet those needs. It. And a lot, of, I found that uh, we had to juggle something uh, that was very surprising to come up was jealousy. Um, jealous of the, the attachment, the connection that the baby was receiving, uh, that my husband had always been a recipient of so you know we had to navigate that and it could be any any person any relationship I could see how this could be relationally you know expressed across lots of different relationship styles it's very similar it could be a preoccupation with a a work project you know and their tunnel vision and focused on that and they kind of forget you in the background there's so many ways in which we can do the same thing you know raise that baby but it could be a new business it could be you know something else in your life a a book you're writing there's so many variations on that same setting isn't there Absolutely. It's so true. And the jealousy, I mean, for, for someone who's had that body before and they could access it and, you know, hey, love, what do you think tonight? Or a little tap, however you, choose, you know, couples do that. To suddenly not be able to do that and then seeing this baby in the loving embrace, I mean, that's quite hard for a lot of people to navigate. And the body that, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, it, it's no longer that that access uh, because actually this body's got another function right now. And for a lot of women, that is a very, very unsexy time. They're they very are, foreign, very oh, completely out of body. <laughs> Strange. Dripping with milk and yeah. having <laughs> vomit in their hair and whatever it is, it's just not they don't necessarily feel able to return to the sexual, to, to that sexual part of themselves. It's a, it, And some women get stuck where they're never able to. 
And we're really a, selling motherhood here, aren't we? <laughs> I think we have a lot of tasks. There's a lot, that we, there's a lot where we can get stuck. We uh, do. Well, and it's really interesting you say that, Ash, because I, I know from my children, I've got um, a 21-year-old and a 23-year-old, and they're living in a world where they're really questioning whether they want to have children. Mm. My generation ruined it for them. I know we did because we showed them women who thought they could do, had to do it all and the mental load was so much and we were juggling our parents, our jobs, our careers, our children. We were lunatics and we still are. <laughs> and, like, and they're looking yeah. at us going, I want to travel the world. I want yeah. to Freedom, freedom. My daughter's like, forget children. She goes, ooh, yep. ooh yep. is the word. I yep. want greyhounds. Ah, uh, well, yeah, that, there's a lot of rescue greyhounds out there needing love. So Andrew, Andrew can vouch for her, her her dog love. It's it's an amazing thing. For yeah, the women totally. who aren't mothers, obviously there's a lot of our guests who, and listeners who are not mothers and this kind of doesn't relate to them. But we see this in patterns of um, relationships, don't we? Relationships not working out or we're currently jumping into similar style relationships that have similar endings, um, you know, the recurrent brokenhearted experiences. How do you help? I guess on an individual basis, because remember relationships as two people, you can't control the other person. You can only support their understanding. But sometimes the work has to be done solo, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I, and this is, this is that individual journey, whether you're with someone or not. It's that who am I in a relationship? Because it's what's been encoded all those years ago when mm. you were really little by the ages of 18 to 24 months. You were encoded. And, yes, there's been some alterations to that, but you really want to know what's inside me because my behaviour tells the story that something's not right. Am I really clingy? Am I dismissing about relationships, uh, dismissive or, um, you know, who am I? What, what, does, what do relationships bring up for me? So it's, it's really important to do the work to understand how, what's in that relational template because mm. that is the that is the program that everything's going to run off, and it's not just couple relationships; it's work relationships. It all gets kind of poked in there. Friendships? Do you are you seeking so much from your friendships that it, it's like a couple relationship? I see it all the time. People mm. becoming so invested that their friends not meeting their needs in a particular way. It's like whoa, not their job. Yeah. Not their job to fill your fridge when you've just come home from a holiday every single time. Nice if they do. But we set those relationships up. <laughs> that that. <laughs> Very high expectation. Yeah, yeah. And people jump have to jump through hoops to be our friend. It's not fair. So it's how do we do that work so that we're not burdening ourselves and others and making ourselves miserable? Um, so can you uh, explain to me or unpack a little bit around the different attachment styles that women have? Um, because I've heard this a lot in, you know, obviously psychological store, uh, circles, but I don't really understand it that well. Um, but it seems fascinating. Um, so why would that be also important for us to um, sort of understand about ourselves? Yeah, it's a it, attachment. Uh, the attachment field's fabulous. It's it's absolutely fascinating. So it's a it's a body of research called attachment theory, and what it's really looking at is, is the types of bonds that children have with their parents, and this mm. is what the part that's formed by eighteen to twenty four months, uh, essentially. So what's in that relational template, and the way that a child is bonded is not actually a measure of love for their parent. 
it's separate, it's a bond, and it's not about a parent's love for their child. So what they've found with attachment theory is that there are predictable ways that children will emotionally bond with their parents. And it's very much determined by whether they felt safe enough with that parent, whether that parent was there enough of the time for them. We're not looking for perfection, but kind of enough um, presence, both physical and emotional, so that the child says, ah, they're here with me. My cries get answered. Uh, it's, it's that kind of sense. So what they said is uh, they found is that there are two main categories. There's securely children who are securely attached and they're the ones who become quite resilient. They would have a, um, when they experience a little hardship, which might be their parent goes to the toilet and back again, they can recover. Like they might get a little bit upset, but then they say, hey, mum, you're home, you're back, oh, thanks for that, and they can recover. And then their brain has the capacity to return to play, discovery, exploration. And that's really critical because it's about recovery. Yeah. What that means is when these kids grow up and they become adults, they're really resilient. It doesn't mean they never get thrown, but they recover and they're still inquisitive about the world. They don't just go into shut down really flat or depressed states. So they take that into their relationships with themselves and others later. If they haven't had enough of that presence that they've, to make them feel safe that says, I can see you're hungry, I've got you in t- enough time, don't, don't get panicked, everyone, <laughs> like sufficient, it's not about being, you know, um, panicky about it. If, if their kids are sitting in nappies for just too long, they're dirty and soiled, um, kids start to learn that this is really not very safe because they've only got that person in that moment to rely on. There's no one coming in, you know, to sweep in and pick them up. It's, it's, they're, they're so dependent. So they end up becoming insecurely attached and there's three main um, cat- patterns of that insecure attachment and these then endure into adulthood. So a child who's, um, who hasn't had enough of it but they get some of it but not enough of it, they can become quite ambivalent children. So they become quite clingy, uh, ambivalently attached. So they become clingy and um, quite angry. So what you'll see is their mum goes off to the loo. If they're, they're, they're going to come back to her and they're going to um, – cling on to her like don't leave me don't leave me but they're also really pissed off she's gone away and left them so they might actually hit mum while they, while she's clinging so they're not just getting in back into that recovery brain state that says um go back and play do your thing you're safe so they're feeling unsafe so they're holding on to her for safety and then hitting as adults these children will often um become quite preoccupied with their partner have you, have you written to me enough in the day? Have you called me? Have you done this? Did you think about me? And, and it's really hard. It's not a safe position to be in in a relationship because you're always judging your partner's ability to meet that part in you so you feel safe. And so I see this like a tape measure that they're constantly measuring their partner and then if their partner's not measuring up, they can get quite angry. And, but they don't want to end the relationship. They get clingy, but they're also angry. So that stays with them. So I see it like those retractable ones. It's always in the back pocket, like a builder, mm. and it just gets whipped out and then suddenly they're in that unsafe territory. The other side is um, there's children who are avoidant. So say mum's gone off to the loo, they come back, they're not happy about No kid's happy about their mum leaving if they need their mum. They just don't like it usually. So if they're avoid, what happens is mum comes back, what will happen is um, they'll be upset but they won't show it. And so they've, they've cut off any of the cries for help 
they've actually deactivated their system that goes, they've stopped doing it. They've learned over time that you're not going to get what you want on the return. So don't do it, which is a really sad position. And it's very, I mean, these are very common positions for a lot of us. Um, And what happens is when they grow into adults, they become very dismissive of relationship kind of bonds and needs. I'll do it for myself. And they have a pseudo-independence. And it can look really functional in adulthood, like, oh, look at how they work and they do this and this. But when it comes down to it in a couple relationship, they're going to become, they can become quite dismissive. Oh, stop, stop measuring me, stop clinging and, um, yeah, don't need me too much kind of thing. I see them as a fortress. These little kids or the adults, they go into a fortress that is I'm looking after myself because that's all I know how to do. And then there's another category in attachment theory, which is for the insecure, it's these um, disorganised attachment. And what happens is these kids, they have grown up with a lot of trauma and they know they're not going to get their needs met, but they just don't know what to do. So they're so they don't they don't have the tape measure because that's a strategy, clinging and being that's a strategy to be close. Another strategy is avoiding and turning it all off. But these kids who have this disorganized attachment, they don't know what to do. They don't have that strategy as the main strategy they can rely on. They use all of it. So they're they're the fortress and they're the tape measure. But then they do this collapsing and they might collapse at mum's feet when she comes back. And mum's going, I don't know what to do. It doesn't mean she doesn't love her kid. But the kids been experienced to, and they might do like rocking backwards and forwards. They just don't know how to use their mum because there's been trauma in the system. I'm and I'm not parent blaming for any of this. You know, parents, mums deal with a lot of um, grief, financial issues, um, deaths of family members. There's so much they're dealing with. Preoccupation, like if they're in their phone, a kid's going to read that as I'm not that interesting to you. But that doesn't mean. They're not to the parent. They're just preoccupied. So all of this is really these bonds and how they then endure into adulthood. So a child who's grown up with a lot of trauma, that's often going to play out in the couple relationship too and a lot of distress with that. So they really, these bonds from childhood endure into adulthood. We take them with us and they can be changed. We can learn to be more securely attached, but it is a journey. It's a definite journey. And being a parent can actually help people with um, reprogramming, doing work. Gosh, that sounds like so much pressure though. (laughs) It is pressure. I would never have had kids. (laughs) If I had known this up first, uh, there is no way I would have had a kid. Too much responsibility. I think I'd go get the greyhounds. Lucy, what if you could leave um, our beautiful listeners with three tips today what are the three things that you'd really love them to take away? Mm, great question. Okay. Your well-being matters. You know, for women, they're taking on so much, a parent or not, they're just taking on so much. Your well-being really matters. You have to be your own advocate. And this is where your show is amazing. What you're offering is amazing because you're helping women become their own advocates. And it's critical that we do that. No one else can be responsible for our health. Yeah, we have to pick that up. We need to be well for ourselves. Um, the other one is about being visible. You know, we've, we've all been raised in a patriarchal society, whether we see it or not. And a lot of women are, are doing invisible hours 
We've got invisible roles. We set ourselves up for carers. There is so much that we're doing behind the scenes that just gets absorbed into a system. I want to to turn this over and go be visible. Let it be known. Let's stop sucking up these hours of wiping down cabinets and taking on disproportionate loads and make it different. Don't wait for a partner to tell you it's okay to get a cleaner. Don't wait for your partner to tell you it's okay to get daycare. This is something that this is part of the patriarchal system. We say, do you think it's okay if I could get some? And it's like, stop it. Get what you need. You're not, yeah. They're not your master. Get what you need. And this is a big piece of work that I do with people because we all want to kind of go, oh, is it okay? Yeah, it's okay. You can't do it all. Mm. Doing it all means you have to do it all and that's just not fair. So you know, really, really advocate and um be visible to yourself. The last thing I'd really say is that life is so precious and we can get so bogged down in everyday life that we're we're actually forgetting that we're in something that's not just about enduring days or having slightly better dinners and this and that. Like I I love to explore with my couples and my I see individuals as well, but how do you really understand what you're in? We're in life. We are life. Every cell in our body is programmed for life and with life. You know that. Your your field, you would know that. Mm -hmm. So it's how do we keep understanding ourselves as being life, not just as people? We are animals. We've got animal skeletal structures. We have animal reflexes. I absolutely love being an animal. And you'll find me across the road in my park um, with my dogs. My shoes will be off. I want muddy feet. Yeah, I want to be an animal and because that is what every molecule in my system wants from me as well and that's mm. where I become really, really happy. So I don't need very much. I just need dirty feet, my doggies, my, some sunshine every now and then. Um, so get into your animal self because we've, we've taken ourselves too far away from the animal kingdom but we're actually right in it. Oh, you're totally speaking my language there with your dirty feet, bare feet, dogs in the park. Um, I love that. Um, Lucy, this has been such a lovely um, and also um, illuminating chat about um, some of our behaviours and I definitely wrote some notes there for myself as well. Um, Where can our listeners find out more about you? So I have lots of information on my website, which is lissyabrahams.com, and there's lots of free resources there. There's my program, Fight Less, Love More there, and a new one called Transforming Couple Communication. And I also have my book, Relationship Reset, and all of those cover a lot of what we've been talking about today and more, of course. But, yeah, there's loads of podcasts and stuff. Just grab the free online resources as well. There's heaps there. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Lucy. And uh, for our listeners, we'll pop all of those links into the show notes for today, so don't worry. Lucy, thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio today. Uh, some of the things that you've um, unpacked for us is invaluable uh, and certainly so relevant um, in this day and age and for all of the things that we see in our patients in our, in, in our women every single day and for ourselves as well. So thank you. You're so welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure being here with you both today thank you so ladies you've been listening to wellness women radio we are the wellness women dr ashley bond and dr andrea huddleston we are raising the bar for women's health and until next week be well 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.